And even as you sit down, I want to ask, what invokes your highest praise? What makes you want to stand on the rooftops and just shout, God is good. God is worthy of all of my praise, of all of our praise. I have a few pictures sitting at the nightstand by my bed, and I flipped through those this last week, and one of them was a picture of Waimea Canyon. And uh, you can only see this if you're standing on a platform on the island of Kauai. I think that's how you say that, in Hawaii. I remember standing there with my wife of about one week at the time, just looking out over this endless sea of aqua blue. I didn't know water could be that color. And we stood there and we, well, we didn't say anything. But we worshipped. We were just awed to silence and what God has made. Maybe you've been in that place when you have been awed to silence and you've worshipped. Maybe it was you know, looking at the eclipse just a week or so ago. Or maybe you've spent time in God's Word and then the Holy Spirit has been, been speaking mightily through that Word and you've just been moved almost effortlessly into a time of worship. Um, as believers in the Lord Jesus, worship encompasses all of life. We worship our Creator, our Redeemer in our work. We worship in our play in the broadest sense. We worship and give God the glory at all times and the highs and the lows of life. But we also come together regularly, like we're doing right now, in this place on Sunday mornings, uh, to worship publicly, corporately. This is worship in a, in a more narrow sense that's intended to inform and elevate that worship in the broader sense. So over the last few weeks, we've been answering the question, what is the church? And uh, this morning, we're going to move to the next question, and that is, what are we supposed to be about? Uh, what does the church do? If we are the Israel of God, a family in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what should those who are in the church, maybe even those who are outside the church, expect us to be doing uh, as a church family? So we're going to spend the next three weeks answering that question. Um, but this morning, starting with the most significant task, that's ours. And that is worship of the triune God. So if you haven't turned in your Bibles yet, um, or flipped to that page in your bulletin, we're going to read just a couple of verses from 1 Peter 2. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we come under the authority and power of God's Word. Informs our understanding of worship and what the church is to be about in this narrower sense. So 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our great God, it is a wonder that You would come to us, that You would speak to us in a way that we can understand and that you would work your word into our hearts and lives. Lord, that is what we are asking in these moments. As we sit in, in submission under the, the authority of your word. Lord, I pray that you would work in us. That you would teach us, encourage us, spur us on uh, through the preaching of your word. Uh, Father, speak faithfully uh, through your servant. 
Uh, may what is said be uh, honest and forthright and, and true. Uh, help us to receive and be attentive now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. He would sit 30 feet below ground level, complete darkness, and all alone. And most of the time, his hands were tied behind his back, and he was in absolute confinement, solitary confinement. And yet, Richard worshipped. And in the little amount of space he had, he would get up and, and walk slowly on that cold cement floor in utter darkness. And the passages of the Bible, the stories of the Bible would come to his mind and he would preach to himself. And they would just come alive in his mind. He would see Moses and the people of Israel walking in the wilderness. And he'd, he'd picture David in the cave. Or similar to his own situation. He'd picture Jesus among the multitudes. And he would pray for his fellow worshipers. He would pray for the nations. He'd pray for those who were imprisoned along with him. And he'd pray for those who had imprisoned him. But solitary confinement and torture had stripped him of everything. And when when you hear something like this and you read a story like this, um, it makes us go, well, what's the point? How could he live? How could he worship under those kind of circumstances? Be so consistently stripped of everything, of all all dignity, and yet still worship uh, with such joy. Makes me think of Paul and his letter to the Philippians a little bit. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And as Peter writes to a young church here, really located in the northern uh, portion of Turkey that, that we would know today, Uh, This church is suffering for the name of Jesus. They've been openly persecuted, really stripped of their earthly treasure and dignity. And so the apostle reminds them of who they really are. That they too are included among God's covenant people. He reminds them who they belong to. That they are God's chosen. He tells them what they have been saved for, what they have been called to do. They're among the chosen. They've been rescued, and now it's time for them to report, to declare the divine power of God, to to testify to His absolute greatness above and beyond mercy. They're to worship Him because of what He has done. So worship, when broken down into its most basic form, is worth. Worthyship. The church is to proclaim the worth of God and the worth of the Lamb. We worship God because He is worthy of all that we can offer to Him. And human beings, as human beings, that worship is unique. All of God's creation is, is worshiping. By doing what he has designed that creation to do, the trees and the squirrels running around out there and the bats flying around, the cicadas, all the noise that they make uh, throughout the day. Uh, But our worship is different. Our worship is personal. Only human beings, by 
by the blood of Jesus, can, can worship by, by expressing personal love and a personal allegiance to our God. So there, there's a great uh, significance, important place for private worship, individual uh, worship. Uh, but God is so very pleased when His people gather as one for the purpose of worship. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle says that God seeks this very thing. Uh, worshipers who come in spirit and in truth. The preacher of the Hebrews exhorts the church not to give up meeting together, especially as that day of Jesus' return uh, draws closer. The psalmist focused so much of his writing on the corporate worship of God's people. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. So the intentional act of worship that takes place here is central to our very existence. What we are to be about. What is the church to do? It is to worship. But what does that really mean practically? How do we, um, how do we sift through this? There are a lot of faces, a lot of facets when thinking about worship. Um, so using the scriptures, we're going to step back for a few minutes this morning, look at the scope of worship, and then the program for worship. When you were a student... Um, many of you are right now, and you have to give a report. Maybe it's a written report or an oral report. What does the teacher say? Well, ask yourself those questions, the, the five W's and the H, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and the how. See, this stuff comes in handy. You, you don't want to hang on to these things. You never know. Um, that's what we're going to do this morning. The who, what, when, where, why is our, our scope of worship, and how we do this is the program uh, for worship. So here we go. Um, who do we worship? That seems to be the most obvious answer. Um, But I don't think it's so obvious in practice. We worship the God of the Bible, who has revealed Himself to us. Unless He has revealed Himself to us, we cannot know Him or worship Him rightly. We're reminded of the the first instruction uh, given in love from God to His covenant people in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before Me. Would you remember what the Lord says right before that command? He says, I'm the one who delivered you. I brought you out of the land of slavery. So it's because of this, because of who I am, you must worship me and me alone. Um, and I think that's easy for us to hear this morning, but much more difficult um, to put into practice. Those little gods are always vying for the affection of our hearts. Sometimes, maybe more often, easier for us to bow the knee to our work, to our family, pleasure, comforts. They promise to satisfy, they promise to give us peace, but they cannot deliver. They will never deliver. We worship the God who has revealed himself to us. We'll touch on that some more in a few minutes. What is our corporate worship? Our worship is an engagement with the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Now, what we're doing here on, on Sunday morning as a family of God, it's not just an encouraging time of fellowship, though that happens. It's not, not an evangelistic meeting. This is God's people coming together to glorify and praise God. To bless His name, to receive His blessing. So when we come into this place on Sunday mornings, we come as participants in worship. Such a special thing as I, as I hear my brothers and sisters offering prayers along with me, affirming our faith together. And we may be passively receiving God's 
God's blessing, but we're actively engaged in this conversation with our God. Uh, And even as God's people gather for worship, uh, such as this, it's open to all. Those doors are open to all uh, to come and and to join us. Um, It's our desire that they would see and hear that this family, in honest confession, in honest praise, that they would be convicted, fall on their face before the Lord, say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. When do we worship? Our worship is continual. Again, all of, all of life is a sacrifice of praise. But we gather specifically in corporate worship now, on Sunday mornings. On that first day of the week, which we call the Lord's Day. In the Old Testament, uh, it was the seventh day, a Sabbath rest that was devoted to God. There were various feasts and sacrifices that were made on that day, which looked forward to uh, the new covenant, the church that exists now under the Lordship of Christ. So it's the work of Christ. His, his death and resurrection restores the church, gives hope. And so the gospel tells us it was on that, that first day of the week that our king left the tomb empty. So that Lord's Day language, the command to, to gather together as God's people, the eternal rest that's foreshadowed in the Lord's Day, that helped establish this day, Sunday, as the time in which uh, God's people gather for worship. Now, does that mean that we don't worship on any other days? Of course not. Um, we certainly gather on other days, but the, the trajectory of, of biblical witness on the New Testament church set its precedent uh, for us. And I know we could say a lot more about that, but we'll have to keep going with these questions. Who, what, when, and where? Where do we worship? There's also something that has changed with the coming of Jesus in the era of the New Testament church. Um, It used to be a tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem, various synagogues uh, set up in towns. But now, wherever the people of God are gathered, uh, serves as a place of worship. It could be a grand cathedral, like the ones you see in pictures in Europe. I hope to see some of those someday. Could be a brick building on Bear Paw Road. Could be the a shop on Main Street. Could be in the cemetery. The worship of God's people is no longer tied to a specific structure or location. Um, the presence of God is with His gathered body, wherever that may be. Great many answers to to this last uh, question. You know, why do we worship? Um, we worship because we're hardwired to do so. First of all. God created us to worship. We worship because God commanded us to worship Him. We worship because it's our natural response of gratitude for what God has done, for His saving grace. But above all, our worship is ultimately for His glory. The glory of God is more important than anything else in all of creation. That's why the question we just asked and recited together what is the chief and highest end of man to glorify God to enjoy him the great Austrian composer Franz Joseph Haydn he, uh, he went into the, uh, this auditorium where they were, they were playing uh, it was the inaugural uh, performance of his oratorio the creation 
And he was uh, much older by this time and confined to a wheelchair. And so he sat on the side as they began to play, and the audience was, was visibly moved by this uh, performance. And as the soprano began to sing and let there be a light, the audience rose to their feet, and they all tears just streaming down their faces, and they, they started clapping, and they all turned towards Haydn with their applause, to which he, he's pushing himself out of his chair, and he says, no, no, not to me, to thee be all, and collapses back into his chair. Among all the answers to why we worship, the current running under it all is for the glory of God and God alone. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. So we've answered the five W's in appreciation, understanding for the scope of worship. Um, but now we need to look at the how, our, our program uh, for worship. If we understand uh, the scope of worship, uh, then how does that look in the church from uh, week to week? Again, any number of trails that we could examine here, but as a Protestant evangelical uh, church in the Reformed tradition, uh, if there is one thing that, that stands as, as the foundation of our worship, it is going to be what we have here, what you have in your hands, in your laps. Um, the very Word of God. Our worship is, is to be filled with the Word directed by the Bible. We consider this one of our first essential beliefs. If you're going to the website and you want to find out more about this church, that's what you're going to read. You profess the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. It's an original transcription without fail in its message. If that's what we believe, then it's the Bible that directs and regulates our worship. Um, in my, my reading this week, I, I ran across a sentence from uh, Pastor Legan Duncan, I think captures so well, this basic program for worship. Uh, he says, read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Read, preach, pray, sing, and see with God's Word as our guide, God's Word as our guard. We're going to shine the spotlight on each of these elements uh, very briefly this morning. First, we read the Bible in public worship. Reading the Scriptures that God speaks to us most directly. I mean, this has been at the heart of worship from times of the Old Testament. Our worship should be saturated with the public reading of the Bible. And not, not just you know, those, those few times before uh, the sermon, um, and unfortunately, I think this is something that is um, on the decline in the contemporary church. Um, we should be hoping. I hope you came here this morning hoping to hear from God's Word. Hoping that the Scriptures would be, would be read to hear God speaking to you. If you find yourself in a gathering for worship for the glory of God and, and the glory of Christ, and, and God's Word is not read or it's not referenced or it's not paraphrased, it should make you a little uncomfortable. Our guide, our foundation for worship must be read. Uh, we're to preach the Bible. Preaching is God's appointed means to, to grow us up, to mature in the faith that's central uh, to our worship. Faith comes from hearing, Paul says in Romans 10. Um, young Pastor Timothy says, preach the word. 
if God's word informs and directs the life of his people, then we cannot expect to, to grow spiritually, be renewed apart from the preaching of that word. The faithful preaching does two things well. Uh, it explains the passage of Scripture and applies that passage um, to those who are gathered for worship. What is true about God's character and His love for us in Christ and what to do because of this? And many of the early church uh, fathers would, would preach expositionally, verse by verse, book by book, uh, through the whole of Scripture to impart the whole counsel of God to His people. And I trust if we have a high view of the Bible as God's authoritative word, then we'll have a high view of preaching in our worship. So we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, and we pray the Bible. Our worship is, should be rich with biblical content. Our prayers should be rich with biblical content. We learn this language of, of confession and assurance and devotion from the Bible. And that informs our prayers. Again, over the life of the church, prayers have been written out, uh, recited uh, maybe only by uh, the pastor or clergyman, and that, you know, in, in time, it's become more participatory, free uh, in, in the corporate worship of the church. So as we immerse ourselves in, in the story, the, the language and themes of the Bible uh, begin to emerge as we pray together. Singing the Bible is another part of the program. God gives Israel a song through Moses, Deuteronomy 31, says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things, is what the psalmist commands. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, uh, exhorts the Apostle Paul. So we need to sing. It doesn't mean we're, uh, we're, we're singing the very words of the Bible all the time. We're singing psalms exclusively, um, though they are rich and should be used often in our singing in the life of the church. Uh, it means our singing, our, our music should contain the language and themes and theology of the Bible. Our singing should be about what God has done. And informs our own response to that. Of course, the accompaniment to our singing, uh, when we sing, who is singing, that all shapes the worship of God's people. Um, something I think that's worth noting here, that, that music, of which singing is a form, uh, is not in itself an element of worship. Um, singing should, should really be considered another mode in which we pray. Another mode in which we praise or we confess. I don't know how many times you know, folks will, um, will say to me, I really enjoyed the worship. Um, you know, so-and-so led the worship and then so-and-so preached. Um, but what are they really saying? They're saying, well, it was, it was a reference to the music. And usually the satisfactory or unsatisfactory uh, nature of the music according to their preference. So our music... Our singing of the Bible elevates our worship emotionally in a way that, that the spoken word or red word cannot. Uh, God's made it to do this. Uh, but the music is to serve as another mode for this comprehensive worship of God's people. Uh, finally, we see the Bible in worship. Um, I, I don't mean just the, the hardcover that you're looking at in the pew in front of you there. 
um, the sacraments, the visible preaching of God's word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these two dramas that God has given us uh, for Christian worship so that we can see and touch, taste, smell the promises of God in His Word. Uh, the sacraments are a sign. They're reminding us of what uh, God has done, of His love and his, his promises to us. They are a seal. They are comforting, assuring us that God means what He says, that He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And so the sacraments are occasional. Um, they're not essential to every uh, service in the church, but they are a special means of God's grace to us, the very grace that's held out in the Bible. Uh, so we read, preach, pray, sing, and see the Bible as our program for worship. Um, and family of God, I, I want to acknowledge here that our worship can be hard at times, especially in the midst of suffering. I mean, I don't think we're too familiar with the, the physical suffering, maybe the, the social, economic suffering that comes from following Jesus, that's not part of our regular experience right now. Um, but we know the struggles, the obstacles that come with loneliness or depression, um, family tension, maybe health complications that make worship hard. Um, even our need to rest in God's control kind of giving up some of our assumed rights um, as believers in this place. Remember Richard that I mentioned uh, earlier on. Uh, Richard was a shepherd of God's people in the church in Romania underground until he was uh, imprisoned. And so he lived in this literal darkness. But it was there that the light of Christ became so powerful and radiant to him. He was not alone. Jesus was with him and, and he could worship. He could walk that cell preaching to himself the very words of life when he couldn't share that life with anybody else. And Richard would, would go on to be the founder of what we know as the voice of the martyrs. Church, we're, we're privileged to share life together. To be about our most important task. Proclaiming the excellencies of our God in a time when that is not, not very popular uh, to do that. God has spoken through His Word and the sacrament, and we are to respond in worship. And what we're doing right now, this morning, it's, it's just a warm-up. I mean, we're, we're practicing for that day when we will, we will join the great assembly of the redeemed. Eternal rejoicing, eternal worship. It's just a taste of that. That glory that awaits. What grace God has given to us. And what an important job we have. Uh, to proclaim His excellency to the ends of the earth. Let's remind ourselves of this again. Those three sentences you have in your bulletin, your sermon notes there. Um, please uh, read these sentences along with me as we work in this truth. The church is a delight to the heart of God and the recipient of His love. The people of God bear witness to His salvation in Jesus Christ and are the embodiment of His intention for the world. Let our worship be unceasing as we proclaim His grace and redemptive purposes 
unto the ends of the earth. May that be so. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do praise you on this day that you have made. It is your day and we rejoice. We are glad in it. May the very words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you as we offer ourselves in sacrifice of praise. Lord, you have come to our rescue. You have freed us in Jesus. You're making us more and more like Him, more and more human. We might enjoy Your presence and worship You with all that we have. Be glorified in our midst. Be glorified as we go from this place and work and play. May You be worshipped in all that we do and say. In Christ's name, Amen.